This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, real quick before we get into the episode, I just want to talk once again about treelineacademy.net, Mark Livesey's e-scouting course. And I got to say, the most comprehensive e-scouting course that's out there today, and it's uh, definitely helped me in my journey on learning what to do, what to look for, and how to use the tools to do it. So if you haven't done it, you want to learn something, you want to improve yourself this season or need to scout for a hunt that's coming up, it really benefits, especially hunters that are out of state. You really want to maximize your money and you want to actually fill that tag. So use promo code PC2020, save yourself 20 bucks. That's treelineacademy.net, promo code PC2020. And now let's get to the show. And I'm sitting here and I'm talking to Johnny Mack. So Johnny, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit and then we'll go from there. Yeah, thanks, Lucas. I really appreciate it. I'm Johnny Mack. I am the host of the Soulful Hunter podcast and founder of Washington Backcountry, a organization focused on hunter recruitment and mentorship. And we are based out of the state of Washington, but really we're trying to go nationwide because we want to reinvent and reimagine hunting for everyone and get everyone involved because it has inspired and transformed my life and given me a lot of purpose and passion and drive. And it's something that I believe every single human being needs to experience, whether they choose to be a hunter or not. It is something that the skill set, the provider life, being able to take care of yourself and your family and your loved ones is critical to a component of living 
And, and so being able to provide your own sustenance is huge. Uh, started this from a, a journey of trying to get into hunting, learning that it's very difficult to get into it without any type of mentors and realized that what I learned, everyone else needed to, to learn as well. And so I wanted to give my shortcuts or whatever I've learned to help and pay it forward. I believe that you can't outgive good and that hunting has the power to transform your life through primal adventure. And so my mission at Washington Backcountry and the Soulful Hunter is mentorship is conservation. And we're here tonight chatting all about it and <laughs> just having a great time. So, man, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. So let's kind of get into that a little bit more then, because I mean, it's pretty interesting that you came up with a concept about, you know, mentorship is hunting and hunting is conservation. I mean, we all get that, that like that premise, but what, what are you guys doing exactly? And, you know, what are you, what are you trying to do as far as mentorship? So one of the things that when it comes to mentorship and hunting, people instantly think hunting locations. They're like, okay, I either want to go with someone so I can go to a location that has animals so I can see how it's done, or I don't know how to find a location with animals. And then the hunter, the, the experienced hunter is typically like, well, I don't want to give away my location. You know, it's such a secret. Going into it, I'm a middle school phys ed teacher on, on my day job. And I know as a, as a physical education teacher and a former high school coach and and middle school coach of a lot of different sports, that if a child does not have success within the first couple tries of something, they're going to give up. And it doesn't mean success like the ultimate success, like you're trying out baseball and hitting a home run. That's not the success we're talking about, but making contact with the ball or throwing it accurately or just being involved and finding the small wins is what hooks people. And so when people want to get into hunting, which society is not pushing it on people, they're not pushing the primal way of living, they're not pushing hunter education, at least in the state of Washington. Uh, you know, I believe that hunter's education should be taught as general public knowledge, just like driver's ed. You, you should know how to drive a car, you should know how to handle a weapon safely and know how to procure food for yourself. And so I was like, dude, I got turned down by people when I asked them if they'd take me to go hunting. And they're like, I don't know. I don't know. Or hunting campus. It's always been my dad or my uncles or, you know. And I was like, yeah, but you don't understand. Like, at this time, I wasn't a father. I was about to, I was about to be a father. And I was like, I need this. I, I need to learn. And so... When you want something bad enough and you identify the need, you always get what you want. And for me, I wanted to be a hunter. I wanted <laughs> to learn how to hunt. And I got that. But I did not get it through the typical means of generationally having it passed down from grandfather to father to son and all that. I had to go search for it on my own. And through trial and error and a lot of difficulty... And a lot of failed hiking with a weapon stories. <laughs> I things just kind of came together and bada bing, bada boom. You do it once, you can do it again, um, and you just start building off of your your tr your experiences to the point where 
I may not kill something every time I go out hunting, but I know that I'm going to at least see the animals that I'm pursuing, which that was like the biggest win for me, man. I grew up hiking and backpacking all over the United States, and I never, not never, I rarely saw animals. However, I had it in my mindset that if you go out in the woods, you're automatically going to see animals. <laughs> it's not the case. <laughs> not, not the case. Nope. <laughs> and so, so here I was. I'm like, dude, I do not get this. I, I, I'm trying. I'm struggling. And so through my struggles, and maybe it's because I'm a natural teacher and that's just what I do. And I, I, I just wanted to share it with others. It, you know, it's like I talk about this on my podcast before, but if you find a restaurant you really love, like you really are like, oh, dude, this was the best. Do you keep it to yourself or do you share it with all your friends and family? That is how I how I view it for hunting. Hunting. I love it. I can't believe everyone isn't going. I can't believe everyone's not trying it. It's the best thing. <laughs> And so that's kind of a roundabout story about why I do everything that I do. And I just find so much fun and enjoyment out of it. No, that's pretty cool. I actually just got a guy at work to, uh, to finally take his hunter safety course. And he's like, man, I don't really know if I want to deer hunt. And I, I don't know about small game or this and that. And I go, well, you know, maybe that's not your thing. I said, because he's kind of like a real high energy guy and just kind of hyperactive. And I'm like you know, he's just pretty intense and all over the place. And I'm like, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe you'd really want to go elk hunting or stalking a mule deer or something. He's like, that sounds pretty cool. And then I showed him a, a picture of Bo Martonic just got his, uh, his mount, his, uh, tundra caribou. And he was like, man, that's cool, man. I think I'd like to do that. So he went, because I just showed him that one picture and like some of the adventure that went along with it. He's like, adventure hunting that's what i want to do and he took us on our safety course i mean he went and took the first step and it's pretty cool that you know just kind of showing him and talking to him because i've offered a lot of times and he just didn't really take the bait and then he started talking to me and he's like you know one of the things that i think even if i don't stick with it if i develop some skills and actually kill an animal at least i have something i can pass down to my children Bingo. and i was like that's it right <laughs> legacy there. The legacy is huge. Yeah. Also, what you said was you hooked the guy and he was like adventure hunting, huh? <laughs> I think, and I, I not just think, I believe, and I stand firmly upon the, the concept that mo a majority of adults in America do not have adventure in their life. They are nine to five, wake up, drink coffee, read the paper, go to work, check social media, do some work, check some social media, eat lunch, do work, maybe go to the gym. Maybe you're sitting in traffic. You go home, cook dinner, play with kids. If you have kids, play with your dog, make food, <laughs> drink some alcohol, maybe a different order, go to bed. <laughs> repeat the next day. I think people in this world are thirsting for adventure and it is up to us as hunters to provide them that inspiration and that knowledge and that little tease of like, dude, it's out there. Go get it. I think more often than not, people live their lives in a state of depression and in a state of I can't or I won't or I can never rather than living with this concept of anything is truly possible. The 
mind over matter thing. I believe in speaking things into existence, but it all it, it all comes down to identifying what it is that you want. I went to uh, a leadership conference about a year and a half ago, and we we were sitting knee to knee. We had to choose a partner randomly. Like there's hundreds of people in this room and you just kind of pick somebody and you're forced to sit knee to knee with them, not touching them, toe to toe, knee to knee. And you have to stare into their eyes the entire time. You can't like you can blink, <laughs> but you're not supposed to look away because a lot of people like they get uncomfortable and they look away. And all that person does is says, what do you want? And you're supposed to answer it. And if I asked you, Lucas, what do you want? What would, what, what's your answer? <laughs> Probably self-sustain. Just be out there. Live out west. One of the most interesting things is, is that you had to hesitate to answer that. <laughs> Why is it that you do not even know instantly what you want? Why, why is it? And I think that, and not I keep using the word think, I know that people need to identify what they want. Because you always get what you want. Because when you want something bad enough, you're going to pursue it and get it. And it starts with people not knowing what they want out of their life. Midlife crises, changing uh, careers, you know, people getting divorces, whatever it is. People are so consumed with something else rather than looking inward to identify what makes them tick, what they need, what they are thirsting for, that they go throughout life lost and not even lost, but like confused, not sure where to hold on to or grav gravitate towards. And so my thing is, is that inward reflection leads to outward correction. And that's, that's, from my brother Lucas Mack. He's the he's a champion. He's my hero. He's also the host of the Golden Rule Revolution podcast. But inward reflection leaves outward. So when I say, what do you want, Lucas? You should be able to answer that. Like, what did I want? I wanted to be a hunter. I don't know why it took me until 29 years old to take my hunter safety course. I don't know why it took, you know, the path that it did to get me into hunting. But what I did know is that I wanted to know how to hunt. I wanted to know how to find animals, kill them, process them, bring them home, feed them to my family, and pass it on as a staple of a foundation of who we are in the Mac household. That is what I wanted. I also want everyone to experience it. And that is why I'm on a mission to share Mentorship is conservation, that hunting has the power to transform lives through primal adventure. And every single person experience hunting. Not everyone's meant to be a hunter. I get that. But when we're talking about legislation, and this is where I find it very interesting, where you know people are always like, oh, take a kid fishing, take a kid hunting. That's great. <laughs> I totally support that. The problem is, is that when we're talking about anti-hunting legislation, when we're talking about politics, when we're talking about even being able to buy ammunition and all this stuff, their parents support them. Adults do. And so that when, when a person gets an opportunity to experience something that they can fall in love with, it'll impact and change the course of history.
when more people can get involved. It, it's not about not having enough animals to hunt. It's not about having enough uh, public lands to hunt. It is about people. It's about people becoming better humans and going through the process of identifying where your food comes from, being able to serve it up on your own plate because you put in the, the work and effort. It makes you a better person. Just like going to the gym and working out, you don't get benefits and gains from the gym by staring at the weights <laughs> you get benefits through going through the action so you may know where your food comes from but the moment that you go through the action of getting your own food it's life-changing life-changing and this is why i'm on a mission everyone everyone you, if you're hearing this podcast and you do not hunt or you know people that do not hunt, it's time to get vocal and share your love and what it's done for you with the world. Everyone needs a good hook. And <laughs> it's time to identify and be courageous enough to share it with the world. Absolutely. I think it, it's kind of weird. It's almost like it's ingrained in us. It's in our DNA. It, it, it's there, that primal nature, that urge. And, and we become so disconnected, not only from the actual act of the hunting and the, the nature itself, but like even from reality these days, there's so many detractors that are pulling us away that I think people even feel lost. They, they truly don't know a purpose or what they're doing. And I, I, I feel it every time I'm out in those woods, there's something that's calling me back, something that's drawing me every time that I'm not there. Even when I'm playing with my kids, I'm like, you know what? Let's go outside. Let's take it outside and try and just Absolutely. give them those little lessons because it just, it benefits everybody. You can tell when they're trapped in the house, they're cooped up or they're watching a TV show. You, you just notice how they're just getting even further disconnected from reality. And I, I always just, all right, let's go outside. Let's go do something and try and give them a yeah. nature lesson. It's Well, that's the that's thing that people don't understand that nature is healing, period. There are actual medical studies done in hospitals where two patients have the exact same diagnosis, whatever, whatever it is, but one is in a, in a room that overlooks a parking lot and one's in a room that overlooks a grass field. And they are treated the exact same, same diagnosis, and the person that overlooks the grass field heals quicker than the person that overlooks a parking lot. That is proven through scientific research. I don't have that study pulled up in front of me to be able to reference it right now, but y'all can go look that up. Nature is healing. It rejuvenates. It is good for the soul. And people need more of it in their life. Absolutely. I, even my friend, Abby Artemisia, uh, forager that I had on the podcast, she, uh, she ended up getting out and doing more things in nature with her manuals and looking and she had a car accident and just kind of therapy for herself and it ended up helping her with some of the problems that she had along with that and in turn she ended up learning a bunch of different species and became a botanist and uh, now she's uh, a teacher an educator for others as far as foraging goes so it's pretty cool see how that can happen um so i kind of want to get in now we'll transition from that a little bit i kind of want to get into uh like what was the catalyst what was the exact moment where you're like i want to do this what was the driving force behind you saying i don't understand how to hunt i don't know i don't have that skill set 
what point or where was that at in your life? From my parents' divorce. And I was 29 when my, when I was working very closely with my father. He was uh, a high school football coach and I was his defensive coordinator and we were working very closely in the same school district and all this. And I realized that all my life choices have been to satisfy the desires of my parents and not satisfy the desires of my own heart. And so here I was in 2001, a senior in high school when 9-11 happened. And I saw the planes crash into the Twin Towers. I watched Black Hawk Down. I, all I wanted to do is go support America and join the military. I wanted to be an Army Ranger. But here I was playing, playing high school football that I was, I was really good at it. And football doesn't last forever. So I was like, I want to continue this as long as I can. So instead of joining the military out of high school, I decided to, to pursue college sports. And when I was in college, I was like, oh, okay, well, I can still go back to the military once I get a degree and go in as an officer. So this is going to work out all right. And then I got hired. And when I was in college, well, before I got hired, when I was in college, I had to choose a degree. And I was like, man, I don't know what I want to do. I was like, I like sports. Um, I guess I'll teach PE. Turns out that I was literally following my dad's footsteps. My dad is a, or he's retired now, but uh, a former music and PE teacher. And so I even work currently in the exact same building that my dad taught at. And I worked in the same office as he taught it and that I grew up in. And I realized I was turning into a miniature version of my father. And I'm not going to speak negatively about my father on this podcast because our lives have all led us to where we're meant to be. And I get to walk this out daily. This is my life, not my father's. But I will say this, that when my mom and dad ended up getting a divorce, it made me really truly reflect upon what I was doing with my life because I was not satisfied with where I was in, in my present moment. I knew that I had desires and that I was always pushing them aside. And so finally, it was, it was my parents' divorce that I was like, okay, I'm going hunting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick this up and I'm going to pursue it. And I think one of the biggest impacts of why I've fallen in love with hunting is because it has nothing to do with my father. It's not something that was passed down gener generationally to me. I taught myself. And the minute that you get to learn and teach yourself something, it impacts you more than, than anything else. And so I became self-sufficient and in that found passion, found purpose, found a love that I wanted to share with everyone else. And I was coaching high school sports. I was meant to be the next head football coach and have my own mini legacy behind my father. And it turns out that's not what I wanted. And so here I was, I, I found it. And now I get to pass something brand new onto my children. And I get to be the man that I wanted to be for not only myself, but for my wife and my children. And I'm not going to bring any of that generational garbage that 
you know, gets passed down <laughs> from from family members of family members and that people are like, oh, my old man or, you know, all this stuff is like, no, I'm starting fresh. There was a period in my past life. I'm not the same person I am today as I was in my 20s and before I'm going to be. I am on a journey to be the best husband and best father and best hunter that I that I can be. And that is kind of like my story of how I got into it. And <laughs> and that's why I started the podcast, Soulful Hunter, because I realized that it wasn't just hunting. It wasn't just squeezing the trigger. It wasn't just this concept of getting food. It was getting food, squeezing the trigger, finding adventure, challenging myself, overcoming fears, planning, learning new things. All of that, you know, hunting, I think more often than not, people, when they talk, it's this or that. And I am a believer that it's this and that it's <laughs> it's I get to go on an adventure and I get to bring food home. It's not I get to go on an adventure or I bring food home. And so I think that that's just what fuels my fire that much more is I just really inspire people because I'm a believer that inspired people inspire people and and i want to be someone who's inspired and sharing my love for hunting with the world so what was kind of what was the animal that you you decided once you were going to hunt that you know this is what i'm going to pursue or what did you decide to go after first yeah that's a great question so it all started uh, i've always been a pro second amendment guy so guns have fascinated me uh, Red Rider BB gun was in my hand from a young age. Like I was always shooting green army, army men and GI Joes out in the backyard, pretending I was on some like great Western country movie and on this journey of self-reliance when in fact I didn't know how to do any of it. And it took me a long time. So like to answer your question, it's a two part. First part was coyotes. I wanted to hunt coyotes year round in the state of Washington. It was the only thing that was open where it didn't have a season. And I coached high school football, middle school, boys and girls basketball. I coached either lacrosse or track. So I, all my year round was just booked and I didn't prioritize hunting. And so I was like, well, I'll fit it in amongst all my other hobbies I used to do and all this stuff. And so coyotes was my main thing. But when it came to actually like big game hunting, and, you know, everyone, I feel like, starts off, like, wanting to hunt deer. They're like, oh, deer, deer hunting. That's like, you know, white-tailed deer is the most common, commonly hunted animal in North America. Well, for me, being a high school football coach, I couldn't justify anything more than one day on a week because, you know, you have Friday night football game, and then you got film, and you got breakdown, and all this stuff, and so... When I looked through the hunting regulations and realized that fall bear, fall black bear in the state of Washington opened August 1st, I always backpacked in the month of August, specifically the first two weeks of that. And football didn't start till like August 16th or 18th. I realized that I could go backpacking and bring a gun and go pursue black bear for a week without having any time constraint. And so from that point on, I wanted to shoot a black bear. That was my goal. That ended up being the very first big game animal that I shot and killed. And it wasn't until, shoot, this last year that I shot my first deer, which was uh, a doe 
on a special permit draw here in the state of Washington. I shot a doe in the month of August that, and then I shot my first buck in November. So like, it's a long journey for me to even get to that point of shooting my first deer, but black bear is, is my answer. And, and actually it turns out that in the state of Washington, now you can hunt and shoot two black bears a year. There's so many of them. So it's also one of the things that I like to do is advocate for predator hunting and say, Hey, before you say you just want to shoot a deer, why don't you try hunting in the month of August and go pursue black bears and use that as a moment and a time to get yourself better afield and then apply that skill set to deer hunting. That's one thing I've always wanted to do actually is go bear hunting. I've never done it. Um, I, I've, I know a lot of people that have, but they paid outfitters, they went up north and not that I'm against that or anything about that. It's just, it's not my thing, and I've never really liked the idea. I get the the management aspect of hunting over bait, especially if you're somewhere up north, like in um, you know Minnesota or Wisconsin or something like that, to where it's so thick a timber that really realistically on a on a chunk of property that you're going to be hunting, you can't even see it unless you have a bait site for it to come in. I get that, but it was just never my thing, and I've always wanted to like spot and stalk a bear i just thought that was so cool and to do it with a longbow too you know i just i've always wanted to do that and i've never done it that's pretty cool that that's like the first animal that you went after yeah it's i didn't realize at the time but it's usually it's very unique that a lot of people go like their whole hunting career and not kill a bear or it won't be something that they specifically go pursue so i actually i wanted to shoot my, I drew a special spring permit here in the state of Washington for a spring bear. And I was like, okay, I'm shooting it with my bow. I'm shooting it with my bow. And I, I spotted this bear and it was like manifestation. Exactly how I was thinking it. Wind was going uphill. I spotted it downhill. I could have come down on it, but my buddy, Tony, my, my partner in crime, he just shot and missed at a bear literally like 15 minutes prior and i was like we have to get a bear down before i just go chase an animal with a bow so i ended up shooting it with a rifle and my buddy chad Riker of backcountry rookies podcast he's like yeah from what i've always learned is that if you ever bring a rifle on a archery hunt you're never going to kill anything with a bow so (laughs) i'll remember that for next time thanks chad (laughs) nice (laughs) it makes sense though right yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but so um, that 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 wasn't your first bear you shot. That was like a, an additional bear. How many bears have you gone after since then? Or since your first? Yeah, so I have had the ability. I've, I have experienced a lot of emotions in a short amount of hunting career. I've shot and killed a bear. I've shot, I've hit a bear and not recovered it. I've shot and missed at a bear. I've shot and killed a killed a bear. So like I've I've done it all. Um, I've killed su- successfully killed two bears. I've been a part of four bears being killed. I've been a part of multiple bears being shot at. And even on our fall bear hunt, uh, probably a couple weeks ago, we there there was two different bears shot at and missed, which blew my mind. I was like this what is this gun not correct or what's going on? <laughs> so I, I just got done shooting uh, my spring bear at 377 yards, one shot, put it down. 
and I missed a chip shot at 140 yards. So I'm not exactly sure what was going on. <laughs> We're going to blame it on the scope. You must have bumped the scope. It has to but, be. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so what was your kind of, uh, what resources did you use or what do you rely on in order to try and figure out and actually hunt those bears? It's a great question. So a, a big shout out will be to, uh, Douglas Bowes, the author of the ultimate guide to black bear hunting. So it turns out that the author of that book, his wife is one of my cousin's good friends. And it's a small world and the dude only lived like a half hour away from me at the time. And so as I, I had courage enough, and this is one thing I want to, I want to encourage people. I want to encourage, I want to fill them with courage is that it only takes you asking for there to be an answer. So I was like, I didn't know this guy. And I asked him if he'd join me for breakfast one day so I could pick his brain about bear hunting. And he obviously knows what he's doing and all this stuff. And I had this conversation with him and I left feeling like I still didn't know what was going on. And he would, he'd say Google maps and Google maps and then find berries, find the bears. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, I'm like, okay, I understand that. I still don't even know what it looks like to what the topography or satellite image of what a berry filled would look like. You know, I spent years backpacking, but never, you know, it was always a journey of like destination from point A to point B. I didn't understand game trails. I didn't know which direction deer tracks pointed. You know, there was all this stuff that to someone who was raised a hunter is just like common sense and like, duh. Yeah, they point the direction that they're walking and all this <laughs> stuff. I really just kind of happenstance. I, I had a, a short interaction with some dude on a forum and he was like, well, this is kind of where I've seen bears at before. And the minute that he gave me that little tidbit of this is where I've seen bears for. And, and I went and satellite imaged it. And I was like, okay, so this is what it looks like. This is what an Alpine meadow looks like, or this is what, where there's no trees, it's going to be nothing but huckleberries and blueberries. And, and then I was like, okay, so if you go August 1st, when bear season opens, the berries could be ripe. They could not be, but the bears need to eat as much as they can to put on fat for the winter. So they got to be there at some point. And so I hiked in into the heart of the Cascade Mountains. And I was like, oh my gosh. There's this giant hillside. It looks fantastic. Couldn't spot any animals. Had no idea really how to use optics and to look for them. I ended up, I've shared the story on, on different podcasts before, but I end up having local uh, uh, yoga instructor from Seattle and her two male students up there with a dog just barking and be like being super loud and i'm like nine miles deep in the backcountry. i'm like i came a long ways to get away from people to <laughs> learn how to hunt and here you are i can't get away from you seattle folks now i say this kind of jokingly because i used to work at rei so i have a little granola in me and i <laughs> and at the time i was wearing birkenstocks and i always bring birkenstocks on my hunt for all of you who love the croc life i, I just can't do it plus my wife thinks they're horribly ugly but <laughs> i was wearing birkenstocks and <laughs> 
And this yoga instructor's like, there's a bear right there. And I was like, no way. And so I chased it down in Birkenstocks and shot my first bear at 30 yards in the backcountry because a yoga instructor from Seattle spotted it and pointed it out. And so kind of a wild <laughs> happenstance, but I then realized like, okay, so there are bears here. This is what they're eating. And then just practice. And literally the, the whole point of boots on the ground, you don't know until you actually are there to get a good understanding of it. So for all you people trying to get into hunting, it takes time and it takes you physically being in the location, not just e-scouting all the time. So a few things with that, like, first off, my wife thinks Crocs are absolutely horrible. Sorry to everybody that wears Crocs. I'm not allowed to wear them, so I can say it because she thinks they're horrible. So I can't wear them. And then also Birkenstocks. I think I even commented on one of your posts and I was like, oh, seriously, dude, you're really wearing those? Those oh, are yeah. probably even worse. Those are like... I don't even know. That's not even the granola version. It goes beyond that to something I'm not even going to discuss. But aren't they heavy too? Birkenstocks are freaking heavy. They're not like a light, like a crack. Yeah. So the, the, <laughs> the pair that I killed my first bear in was the cork ones that are super heavy. The cork that's with all the, I like had the, at the time big because... heavy grain leather. Uh-huh, because I was like, dude, I'm not buying a flip-flops to wear as camp shoes in the backcountry when I have these. I'm super cheap. And so I use those, and now I use the, like, foam foam material ones so as my I've camp got, shoes. I've got the reef, uh, like, the the foamy sandals that are the reefs. That's what I wear yep. now. But anyway. I will, yeah, I will say that I have year-round uh, Birkenstock tan lines on my feet, which is, you know chicks dig it right right without a doubt those those buckles they're just so lovely um but so the whole time you're talking about that and like when you, when that guy that you went and talked to was talking about um you know google maps or google google earth and you know the berries look at the berries so like in my mind talking to like lampers or and one time we we're on a hike and we we're on uh, the western hunting summit and and he goes does this look like good good bear country to you? And I look at him and I go, to be perfectly honest, I, I couldn't tell you if it looked like good bear country or not. And he goes, well, you see any berries? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. He's like, yeah, it's probably pretty good bear country. <laughs> and he just turned around and kept walking. I'm like, oh, okay. And I've heard him say on podcasts and stuff the same thing. But then the other thing is like, man, live a say. I can't, I, I know I say this a lot, but man, it's changed my perspective and you're right. Like I didn't know how to use Google maps or anything like that. But when you've got somebody teaching you how to use that tool and like break down all those different terrain features, it's amazing what it can do and how it can help you. And oh, yeah. I, I didn't have that or know that either until, until, you know, I actually, I met Mark and started talking about it and then we did some podcasts and I was like, holy crap. And the fact that that dude learned it because he was a Midwesterner and couldn't put boots on the ground. He would come from Missouri every year and go hunt wherever out West. And that's how he ended up doing it. And he perfected it. And now he's got the yeah. whole program, but it's, it's crazy. Like you say that somebody else said, you know, said it to you, look at the Google maps. And it's like, it's true, but if you don't know how to use it or what you're looking at, it absolutely does you no good either. Yeah. So going back to at the beginning of this recording, the podcast, when you said, you know, talking about the mentorship aspect, 
so more often than not, like I'll get messages and people will be like, Hey man, I've never killed a bear. Uh, I'm not looking for any honey holes or anything specific, but can you help me find a bear, you know, or good places a bear hunt? And I'm like, and I totally get it now being like the seasoned hunter, getting that honey hole question all the time. But my job and what I'm trying to do is I'm not spoon feeding people. I'm not, you know, you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. You teach a man to fish, he eats for a lifetime. So if I give you a good hunting location, it doesn't mean that that hunting location is going to be good forever, right? Trees grow, topography changes, all these things happen. And so what I what I've really tried to do is is ask people first off if they, you know, I'm a huge believer in Onyx maps. I know that Onyx Maps' satellite imagery is not always the best. So I use it now in combination with Google Earth and some different aspects. However, you know, the understanding, the most simple thing that I can share people, share with people who are looking like kill bear. I'm like, okay, south facing slopes get more sunlight than north facing slopes because we're in the northern hemisphere. Therefore, the south-facing slopes are going to provide more food early on before any other slopes. Now, when you look on digital uh, Google Earth or whatever, not every mountain slope is south-facing. Some are like more of a western-facing or eastern-facing. But that combination of a little bit of south-facing will get more sunlight than it will if it's a north facing. So south and west facing is going to be way more beneficial than southeast and northeast, northwest. And so when I say that to them, and then I say, okay, go to satellite image and I want you to find a location that doesn't have trees and what looks like what you would consider a meadow in the mountains. And so they'll they'll find something and then what I'll do is be like, okay, so you're on the right track. First off, is it south facing, southwest or southeast facing? Does it have an open meadow? Now can you find a location to glass it from? And also, what is the most prominent point of reference that you can use? So in the state of Washington, we have a great hikers resource. It's called Washington Trails Association. And the WTA does great job of mapping trails and giving mileage and elevation and all that stuff and hikers are your best resource for animals because they're like oh nature animals cool <laughs> and they'll be like i saw a bear today i saw a deer today i saw whatever and so if you can cross-reference all these different platforms and you start to build this 3d image of what you're getting into and it's like okay then when you go there you you have an idea and it's not you may not be hunting from a specific trail, but you might use that trail as a uh, a thoroughfare or a highway to get you to other ridge lines that are going to take you to other locations. And, and that's how you put the puzzle together. And it's so much fun. That's pretty cool. So now, like, um, what's your favorite thing? I mean, you, you got this bear. Now you got to decide what to cook with it, right? What are you doing? So... If you're talking about my very first bear, I was freaked out of the uh, <laughs> trick. Oh man, what trichinosis? Yeah, trichinosis. Yeah, I so I was like, 
Number one, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never processed. I mean, I had biology class in, as like a freshman in high school. That was the last time that in a fish. So when I was cutting into my bear for the very first time, I was like, holy smokes, what am I doing? I ended up just grinding it all. <laughs> I took all the meat. I ground it all. And it was it was great until I realized that I don't just want to eat hamburger the, the entire time. And so I'm actually a huge fan of bear roasts. Um, I actually put a recipe on my Instagram, Washington Backcountry, uh, where you sear it in a pan with some either butter or oil and some red wine. And then you put it in a crock pot with all your vegetables with some more red wine and season it with garlic and whatever else. And, you know, slow cook it on low for eight hours or cook it on high for four hours. And dude, I love a good roast. Big fan. That sounds good. Did you ever render any bear fat yet? Yeah. So one of the coolest things that I can tell anyone who's who, if you've never killed a bear or if you've never done this, is if it's a fall bear, because my spring bear I killed this year had zero fat on it, like none. So I didn't get to keep any any bear fat. However, fall bears, you take that fat, slice it off in chunks, like big old white slabs, just nasty and greasy. And you put it in your, you know, if you're in the back country, you put it in your, your jet boil or your backpacking pot and you just crank that heat until it all melts to oil. And then whatever's left is the gristle and you can scoop that out and throw it away. And then you take your tenderloins and I always backpack with salt and pepper or I totally recommend Montreal seasoning and you cut up uh, tenderloins in little tiny cubes like chicken nugget size. And you boil them in the rendered bear fat. And then when they look completely brown, cooked all the way through, take them out, season them. It will be the best bear you've ever had. It was, it was incredible. So that's awesome. Now, but now when you're talking about the jet boil, it's got me thinking though, are you using like the jet boil sumo to where you can like reach in there and get better or the traditional one where you're really digging to get to the bottom of it? Yeah, traditional, really yeah. to the That's why uh, the extended sporks that they make for back, back, backpacking food, those come in real handy for the jet boil that you got to reach in there deep to the bottom to right. get it. Because <laughs> I almost thought about trading mine off and getting getting the wider one just so it's easier to do stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, we could we could talk gear for days, right? This is In due fun. time, <laughs> but um, yeah, right. So what's what's kind of your plans now? Now that you've you've kind of got the bear thing figured out, and you're applying this towards other things. You got your first deer what last year or last November? Yep, yep. Got my first uh, couple deer last year. Um, the year before, I actually shot my very first elk, which was. Man, once in a lifetime elk. That was my very first time archery hunting. So I've gotten bear, elk, deer. I, on this last bear hunt that I did a couple weeks ago, on my journey in, I just happened to stop and glass up into this meadow. And I saw a buck of a lifetime just feeding out in the open. And this is on Western Washington. So it would be considered a, a blacktail, even though it might have some mule deer DNA in it but just giant four by four eye guards kickers off the side. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't even want to hunt bear anymore. I just want to go shoot this animal. 
So I am sacrificing my archery elk tag to go and hunt in the state of Washington. We have what's called the high buck hunt, which you are allowed to hunt deer with rifles in September, but only for 10 days. And it's only in wilderness areas. So not all uh, GMUs are open. And so I've never high bucked hunt hunted before. And so I'm, I'm about to try something brand new with this buck in mind. And I'm, I can't wait. It's going to, I can't wait to share the photo with everyone. Once I, <laughs> once I take it with it, it's going to be epic. So if you don't, are, are you going to be sad that you did sacrifice your tag, your elk tag? No, because, I'm, <laughs> well, first off, I'm going to kill this deer. So that's, that's besides the question. I always okay. speak in the affirmative. Right. I am a believer in, um, you know, I'm not going to try to do something. I'm going to do it. So perfect. I like to speak things into existence going back to that. However, I also have a bear tag in my pocket and I'm, you know, at the end of the day, I have not bought red meat at a store in over two years. I don't want to buy red meat from a store at all. So whether it's that deer, another deer, a bear, a combination of all of them, we're killing some animals on this trip. My buddy, uh, Tony, who's going with me, we're going to be filming it as well. He's got a bear tag and a deer tag. So there's a lot of opportunities for shots to be fired on this trip. That's pretty cool. That's awesome, man. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, I guess that's kind of it for right now. Um, what you want to tell people one more time where they can find you and, uh, and, and the name of everything. Yeah, my pleasure. So, uh, first off you can find the soulful hunter podcast. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. It's on all the different players that you can find a podcast at also on social media, Facebook and Instagram, the soulful hunter podcast. But before the soulful hunter podcast kicked off, I started Washington Backcountry, and we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We have a YouTube channel. Um, that is Washington underscore backcountry. but the website, you can go to WA, like the state of Washington, WA backcountry.com, or you can go to soulfulhunter.com. They're two different landing pages, but they take it to the same location. And if you have questions or you want to get plugged in or you want to build community because it's all about building community, getting connected, investing in people's lives, getting them hooked and sharing inspiration and motivation and all that, uh, reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. This is why I do it. You know, I don't get paid to to share my love for hunting with everyone. I do it because I love it and I want everyone else to experience it. So I got some great news that I guess, you know what, I'm going to share it on this podcast. I am going to be launching a TV show that's going to be on Carbon TV this next year. It's called Soul Seekers. Nice. And the idea is that we are seeking after our own souls in the mountains. We seek after the souls of the animals, but we also are seeking after the souls of other people to get them involved. And so the concept of Soul Seekers is that either it will be a brand new hunt for myself or the people included or it will be a mentored hunt either with the mentee having a tag for the specific animal or them just joining us on a hunt and going through the process and learning hunting and something you know a lot of hunting shows are focused around the kill shot 
And I believe that there's so much more to be shared than just the kill shot. Yeah, it's really cool to see, really fun to watch. But the stories of people's lives about why they want to get into hunting or why it's important for them and and all of that has so much to to tell. And so you can be looking forward to Soul Seekers on Carbon TV starting in 2021 in the spring. We're filming this year's season now, and that'll be ready to go next year. It'll also be on our YouTube channel after it goes live on Carbon TV. So you can subscribe to Washington Backcountry. We have a little bit of a teaser from our spring bear hunt on there that you guys can go check out. It'll give you a little bit of uh, insight on what to expect from the show, Soul Seekers. Johnny, that's awesome, man. Congratulations on that. And I look forward to that content coming out. That's pretty cool. Um, so Thank I got to ask you, though, before we go here real quick, have you ever gone down the foraging path? Heck yeah. <laughs> not not completely, though. So uh, that's a great question. I'm really interested in foraging mushrooms. At First off, identifying mushrooms is super hard. Uh, like when you get into the variety of them, obviously morel mushrooms look like morel mushrooms and you're not going to find any others that look like that. But when you get into the nitty gritty of like, you know, the psilocybin mushrooms versus the ones that will kill you versus the ones that are good for restaurants, uh, it intrigues me, but I, I don't see myself going mushroom hunting. If I'm in the woods, I'm going to be pursuing animals. And then if I come across mushrooms, I will gladly pick them and bring them home. But the foraging aspect, I grow my own garden um, and all that. In our spring bear hunt, we actually called our location Morel Mountain because we brought home probably, oh man, I we had a three liter uh bags like duffel like stuff sacks yep stuff sacks that we filled up with morel mushrooms on our spring bear hunt and we ended up killing all our bears from that exact mountain and so that was fun if we were able to, we packed in an onion we cooked some tenderloins over a fire had some morel mushrooms with our bear tenderloins and it was like dude it was primo that's absolutely amazing that's awesome <laughs> that sounds so good right now too <laughs> yeah. but so like i guarantee you or i don't know at least so my opinion maybe it's because i started out uh mushroom hunting versus like looking up plants but it, to me it's like plants are super difficult to identify and find versus and and what's weird though is once you find it and you find those key characteristics of it and you look at them then you're like oh and then you start seeing it everywhere it's so weird that like you don't notice it and then once you see it you're not afraid of it anymore and you know it and it's ingrained in your head and you just start picking it out everywhere and you're like oh what else do i know Dude, I bet totally. you you're going to go down that journey, though. You're, it's oh, just a matter of time. But you're oh, going to. I guarantee it's just a matter of me having enough time. I'm trying to, like, I'm dabbling in so many different areas right now. As soon as I put my <laughs> mind towards it, it goes back to the whole what do you want? When I want to forage completely, <laughs> I will be successful at it. But until I want it completely, I'm not really going to find success in it. So last year, uh, we were my wife and I were looking for homes. And one of the homes was like a brand new build. Like no one's ever lived in it. And we're parked in the driveway. It doesn't, it has gra grass sprouts in the yard. Like it just got hydro seeded. And I'm walking up the driveway and I look down 
And there was morel mushrooms growing out of the yard going into this house. And I was like, uh, hold on real quick. And I picked them all. Nice. <laughs> My wife was like, what are you doing? I was like, dude, these mushrooms are like $25 a pound in the grocery store or whatever, or <laughs> at a restaurant. <laughs> like this is a, this is a win right here. <laughs> That's awesome. We didn't yeah. buy the house, but I did get mushrooms from well, them. Well, <laughs> that's even better then, right? Free, Right. <laughs> so that's cool, man. I appreciate you coming on, talking to me. And uh, awesome to see your journey and where you're going with it. And uh, thank you for educating and sharing others. I like how you're, you know, passing on the torch and inspiring others too. And uh, it's really cool. And I look forward to seeing how all that goes and seeing your content on Carbon TV, man. That's, that's great. Thanks for uh, coming on, man. Lucas, first off, I got to just tell you, thank you for doing what you do. You know, it takes a lot of courage to start a podcast, to put your your lack of knowledge or therefore your belief in knowledge or whatever it is, you know, to share that with the world takes courage. And I'm very impressed every time I get a chance to talk with someone who's who's going down a, a path that they're unfamiliar with or that they want to improve on. And so I really commend you and your efforts and your podcasts and dude, I'm proud of you. Stay after it. <laughs> Everything is going to, you're going to get exactly what you want, especially when you start identifying what it is that you want out of it. So really proud of you. Awesome. I appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you later, man. All right, bud. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. anglers search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv through the blackwater bayous and in the dark louisiana night floats a duck camp alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of cajun cooking Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.